UX Podcast Episode 101. This is UX Podcast. I'm James Roy Lawson. And I'm Pat Axbom. And we're balancing business, technology and users every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. This is the first show in a series of shows with interviews recorded at UXLX 2015. Right. It's actually Saturday morning after three days of intensive workshops and talks and you're just so tired but so inspired by all these smart people, both the attendees and the speakers. And there's been some fantastic conversations going on, and we've managed to do a fair number of interviews, uh, which, of, of course, is why this is the first of a number of series uh, of the podcast from this conference. One thing that was a little bit surprising is just how magical this conference has been. That's true. It has been magical, uh, both in a metaphorical way, but also in a, re- a very real way. <laughs> yeah. We, um, on the um, evening of the first night, um, we were stood in the bar having a drink, and we were realised that we found out that the two people we were talking to were amateur magicians. Well, mm. I don't know if you can say amateur magicians. Well, they were magicians anyway. They were members of the magic circle and mm. were refusing to tell us about certain tricks and how they worked. They were talking about a trick, and the other guy goes, well, we invented that trick. And yeah, <laughs> I'm showing his clips of it. <laughs> Amazing. And, so yeah. and then, um, then we also realised mm. and found out that mm. um, one of our guests in today's show was also a magician. Yeah. And the other one, the other guest of today's show, uh, is a wannabe magician. <laughs> and his <laughs> the closing keynote talk at UXLX yeah. actually was about magic, or magical yeah. UX. It was, uh, Josh Clark did the closing keynote. Uh, fantastic talk. He's the founder of Big Medium, uh, so the design agency. He's written books, uh, Tapworthy, designing great iPhone apps. He's coming out with uh, Designing for Touch. Uh, great have, thinker in the mobile space. You might have known him as Global Moxie earlier right if you followed him on twitter <laughs> basically just a goofy lovable geek who loves to experiment <laughs> and push the limits of connected devices and uh our magician stephen hay he's uh he runs uh, his own consultancy zero interface also a writer uh, author of responsive design workflow uh, and contributing author to smashing book number three uh, so really clever guys, uh, Stephen, down to earth, wise thinker. He's always trying, striving to do the right thing and not being satisfied with how it's always been done. I think that's quite uh, a similarity between these two guys as well. Are we talking too much? <laughs> Let's play the interview. UX Podcast is supported by Loop 11, an easy-to-use online user testing toolset. UX podcast listeners, your first full-featured usability test is on the house when you go to loop11.com slash uxpodcast. That's loop11.com slash uxpodcast. We just sat down with the magicians of UXLX, Josh Clark, Stephen Hay. Welcome to the show. Hi there. <laughs> it's, it's a real treat to be here. Yeah, excellent. Really nice that you could join us before you both whiz off to the airport that's right that will be our last magic trick is to disappear <laughs> from beautiful Lisbon <laughs> fantastic yesterday Josh you um, you were the cl- closing keynote speaker uh, magical UX and the internet of things 
Yeah. And you, you actually did a really good job of, of weaving in and wrapping up all the talks oh, earlier in the day. I, mean, I thought well, there were a lot of really, thank you, a lot of really great threads to connect there. I'd say I, I thought it was a really uh, interesting, full, great, brain-bending day of, yeah. of talks. So it's a real mm. privilege and honor to, um, to wrap it up. Yeah. Mm. That's... Um, it's a shame, though, that your magic trick didn't quite work at this. Yeah. You, you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Josh had a wand, a Harry Potter wand. Yeah. And you were trying right. to light candles, I think. I was trying yeah. to turn yeah. candles on yeah. with, my, uh, with my wand, but mm. I'm new at this stuff. See, I, I, <laughs> it turns out Stephen actually is, it actually knows how to do magic. Yep. And I'm just a guy who has mm. props and gimmicks. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I think it's the, the thing is that, yeah, the, what, what I have is a, this uh, wand, which is actually an infrared remote control with 13 gestures that you can program. And, um, you know, like a lot of technology and for that ma matter, like a lot of magic, this stuff sometimes backfires. And mm. so my uh, live magic demo kind of fizzled out, which is okay. It's That's sort of part of the point, too. It's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's you human. You rely on this stuff. It's yet. human and it's nice. Yeah. Although we were, we were talking to Stephen the night before, because you, Stephen, you were thinking, of, you were talking about you were going to do a magic trick in your show. Was it, was it with a um, disappearing coin or something you were talking about doing? Yeah. Yeah. I, and I you originally had a, a video clip of myself making a coin disappear. Mm. Um, but no, I'd been out of practice for a while, and I thought it's probably best not to do that. <laughs> you know, my luck there's going to be an actual magician in the audience and he'll see that and come up to me um. afterward, you know, like Josh. <laughs> Should have used a wand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, always. I don't know. Why wouldn't mm. you use a wand? Mm. Except it doesn't work. Mm. Yeah. You guys beware mm. when you buy magic wands. Well, it turns out these things are just sticks. Mm. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> so you're both using this like a metaphor for the deception that we also do in interface design. Uh, when we've talked previously about uh, deception, persuasion, deception has always had the connotations of being a negative thing. And I think that you both showed us that deception can actually be something that's used in entertainment to appeal to people. But also, uh, I like the way that the w you said, Josh, yesterday that even any web interface is an illusion mm. because it's trying to hide the technology behind the interface. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, mm. you think about it, it's of, of how far we've, come to abstract the technology, mm. you know, from the punch card days to command line to pointing at stuff with a mouse and cursor, little cute icons, yeah. to now actually having the illusion to touch content on screens, and increasingly now to manipulate, you know, regular everyday objects that have these technologies embedded in them, mm. so that just using these things or moving through the world in a, in a normal, familiar way creates these digital wakes and eddies so there's actually the appearance of no interface mm. um, but you're right it's you know all user interface is an illusion just this little thin layer mm. of magic that we stretch over this churn of ones and zeros mm. and um, it's all misdirection you know and, and uh, every interface is a social convention and a big thing of, of misdirection that, <laughs> that we use to, to yeah. make people's jobs easier to make the mm. technology disappear and let you get to the action and task that you want to you want to get to. That's right. You, you, you said, I think, um, bank on illusion and embrace misdirection. Yeah, which ultimately says, you know, we should lie to our customers yeah. and our audiences, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, <laughs> but, but not, uh, you know, I think, Stephen, your talk, you, you called it uh, 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 benign or benevolent uh, deception, I think, yes. right? Which is the idea of, like, you know, let's make this thing work in the most reasonable mental model, mm -hmm. the simplest mental model that we can construct and create the, again, illusion that technology actually works in this mm -hmm. 
simple way. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's a, we were talking about the magic wand before and you know like Stephen can actually do sleight of hand you know that's pretty amazing i just have this gimmick and it turns out you know which is the wand you know this yeah. little technology crutch but the word gimmick actually came from uh vaudeville magicians in the 1920s as the piece of machinery that you used to that, that actually had nothing to do with the trick but was sort of the story of the trick and you know, the, the gimmick, vehicle in it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, it's like a magic wand, or you know, yeah. the, the hat and the rabbit, whatever. The machine that sort of mm. does something. And um, gimmick has uh, a negative connotation now, but I think that r really every user interface, every user experience we create is built around a gimmick. And you know, embrace that mm. gimmick. That's the story that you're trying to to tell that people through and to sort of communicate this technology mm. with. Mm. Um, mm. So gimmicks are, um, you know, are good things. Mm. That's what that's what we build. Yeah, yeah. you hide them as well. Um, gimmicks are, um, I'm not a performing magician by any means, but performing magicians who use gimmicks, gimmicks mm. do the work, um, th you know, as opposed to sleight of hand where you do the work. Uh, there are lots of effects with gimmicks and the idea is that the the audience never sees the gimmick so in the same way that we're uh, presenting technology in a way that the audience isn't confronted with the technology behind it right so um, like the example I gave of the trash can metaphor as opposed to you know picking a certain portion of the disk that you'd like to <coughs> overwrite with mm. zeros mm. Uh, which would probably be um, for a programmer you know, the first thing they would think of as opposed to um, trying to hide that with some kind of a metaphor. Mm. Even though it's kind of a cheesy metaphor, it does really work. And we don't even think about it. We just grab something, throw it away. And throw it there. I like I talked to my son, and I, he asked me how did I save this document. And I tell, say, just press the floppy disk. And he asked me, press what? Because floppy disks don't <laughs> exist anymore. Mm -hmm. So you have to be <laughs> wary about that as well, that actually right. the metaphors change over time. Pre exactly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking as well that you could actually... Um, um, we could actually say that design is the gimmick. So I mean, thinking about um, the workshop um, and, and your workshop, Stephen, with the responsive design workflow, and we talked about doing content blocks and the, the basic kind of what what is it that we need to kind of do or communicate the, the goals and the, the components that make the page. And the, the design is the thing that we put on right at the end. Mm -hmm. So so the actual graphical design becomes more the, the gimmick, the kind of the, the bravado, the, the frills at the end that, that lift it just that little bit to another level. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I think that um, the content-first approach is the, the potential danger there is that people are going to just put design on as a kind of a decoration mm. at the end. And the whole idea is to have this content and start building up mm. the design as you go as opposed to just slapping it on yeah. at the end so that it, um, it becomes one with the content. Mm. So I... I quoted Paul Rand in the presentation that design is the method of putting form and content together mm. and so that implies that they need each other mm. right? yeah so they're they're kind of one unit if you change the design you change the the perception of the content if you change the content you change the perception of the design mm. so uh, these things are, are uh, Mm. like married to each other. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting is that for a lot of clients or stakeholders, they're really interested in that end product. And and sometimes, particularly with people who 
aren't necessarily very involved in what's you know th the process of creating this stuff it can be really confusing to show them stuff before that and so there's this interesting thing you know i mean stevens uh, does so much great stuff about responsive workflow and the way we need to change our process to be about more systems and you know modular building it up from the content uh, and yet what I've found, and I think it's absolutely right, what I've found though often is that when you, is that you, you still don't want to expose that very much to your end client, that you kind of want to give them again the illusion that it's still sort of this waterfall process that as far <laughs> as they're concerned, you are doing the wireframes and the design and you're showing them kind of complete, fully mm -hmm. digested or digestible uh, designs. Mm -hmm. And so you sort of hide that everything that's going it's you know your wizard of oz behind the curtain pay no attention mm -hmm. here's the fancy presentation at, at the end it's um that's been an interesting learning process for me i love that the idea that you're actually deceiving your customers as yeah. well just to ma make the right thing behind the curtains because what everybody seems to have been having trouble with is, is well how do we approach this how do we explain this to customers and your answer then is that don't explain it. Mm. Just do the right thing, but show them that what they want to see. You communicate what you yeah. need to communicate mm. for them to be able to take the next step. Mm. I think that was a, a, a good take on from your workshop as well, Stephen. That with the that you um, you do responsive prototypes basically in, 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 in the browser, and then take screenshots at the <laughs> breakpoints that the customer is probably expecting to see. Right. That, that's uh, the purpose of that is what Josh was yeah. actually talking about. When um, I do take the client by the hand through that whole content building process, but um, people still, clients still expect to see a screen or a page. Um, so at one point you have to pull all these little components together and do that kind of a presentation. And the reason I take screenshots is because there are too many factors involved in presenting an in-browser design comp. Uh, people try to tap on things. Um, they, mm -hmm. they expect it to work because it's actually in the medium for which it's designed. So that deception um, can backfire on you, right? So you take screenshots first, so you get like the Photoshop type effect of this is, uh, we're looking at the visual aspects of this design and we're ignoring the interaction for right now. But th the purpose of that is to split the conversation in two so that you give, you give the visual design and the interaction appropriate amounts of attention and otherwise they it gets to Muddled. be this convoluted yeah. uh, conversation mm -hmm. and, and very difficult, especially if you're in a room with uh, quite a few stakeholders. Mm -hmm. Then it's, it becomes a mess. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and on the one hand, it's like you, you can do educate. You know, I, I think that responsive design is something that has slowly filtered through to most business people get the idea of it, or at least that, oh, we've got a, what we're doing here is making a website that will work on multiple devices. But you know, it's sort of. It, I think that uh, uh, on the technical side of things, you you don't think of it in terms of, you know, this is the phone view, this is the tablet view. There's this kind of spectrum mm. that goes from zero to gigantic um, that you want the whole thing to look at. But the mental model still for most people is this is what this is the phone experience, the tablet mm. experience, yeah. and the desktop experience. Mm. And you know, I think over time that view may change but in that you can sort of begin to educate to that but ultimately you have to design for your client's mental model mm -hmm. it's not you know you should bend to them they shouldn't bend to you mm -hmm. you know unless they're wrong right <laughs> well i'd go so far as to say that you it's not that you're designing uh conforming to the mental model of the client but when 
there's a difference between design and presentation. Yes, so that's, right. that's what you mean. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think is yeah. that you're um, you're designing the way that you think you should design, and your presentations to the client conform to the mental model of the client, that's basically. Right. And you can take them along in that process beforehand to kind of educate them a little bit, but it it sure beats uh, beating them over the head <laughs> with a with the mm. this is our methodology stick. Yeah. You know? mm. Right. Uh, right. I mean, right. It's like. Y you know, you go to a restaurant and it's like you want a delicious meal. You don't need to know. I mean, you know, there are some foodies who want to know the details. But for the most part, frankly, you know, spare me what happens in the sausage factory <laughs> and give me the delicious sausage. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I the thing about the mental model is that, I mean, I think it's going to be a long time before we move away from the mobile tablet desktop mental model when you think that the end user themselves are living with that mental model. And they really don't care. It's, it's their mobile. Whether it's the kind of seven-inch phablet or whether it's you know a, a three and a half inch you know smartphone from a few years ago, they still pick it up and it's their phone. Mm. Yeah. So the mental model is going to go on for a long time there. But yeah. we can't we can't stick to that mental model rigidly. We've got to be more fluid yeah. in the design process. One of the challenges yeah. then with actually presenting in that way to the client for me is that thi people think of UX. Yeah, okay, interface design. People build ex engaging, exciting interfaces, and really what you want people to do is get from A to B without any obstacles and the interface itself can be an obstacle so we really we're not interested in the pages really we're interested in so how do we get that person from point A to point B the journey the journey or whatever their end goal is and <laughs> when I go in and, and start talking like that I thought you were going to draw interfaces mm. do I still show them interfaces but actually think about how I can rem remove the interfaces in the end yeah <laughs> I mean you know I think I think part of that is you know all at the appropriate time, right? So while you're still sorting out what the goals are and what point A and point B are, you mm. know, trying not to sort of distract them with the interfaces maybe is right. But mm. then once you're actually presenting solutions, that's when you want to get there. So it's sort of a thing mm. of kind of at what point are you focusing on gathering information and, and at what point are you focusing on solution? And obviously there's a little bit of both throughout, but, you know, when are you dialing one up and the mm. other down? I think determines what it is that you're showing, asking, and saying. Yeah. And ultimately, I think it depends on the client, on the the person you're doing this thing for, mm. um, the stakeholders. Because uh, you'll, I, I'm sure you've had this, Josh, that you sometimes completely switch up your approach because it's a totally different type of client. There's different politics in the organization, um, and you're really careful in these meetings of you know, looking around and who's who's got decision-making power here and what kind of reactions are we getting from them and you try to feel the way that you should approach things like presentation psychology and mm -hmm. um, and all of that. So it's, it's kind of like you follow a process, but once you get to the client-facing part of that, um, you're definitely conforming to what that particular client needs to see and hear. Yeah. Every client um, is unique and every organization yeah. is unique. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you can't stick to your process 100%. Mm. Well, you know, I mean, I would say, yeah, I mean, I think it's so true. I mean, I've designed a bajillion, you know, apps and websites and products, never done it the same way twice. No. You know, and so I think that there is often, especially I think in the UX community, a real, you know, UX folks are systems people. And, you know, th it's like, the, the finding that process that was the sort of the holy grail. Mm. And I think, you know, ultimately, I think one of the really great themes here at UXLX was kind of the process is people, you know, and people are messy, which means mm. that your process will inevitably be messy. 
uh, I think that that's just sort of something to to um, not bemoan, but kind of to celebrate. I mean, that's like that's that's what makes you know people in this business such a a lovely mess. Yeah, and I think several speakers have have talked about mm. or building blocks components and and you know thinking of that we need a big bag of Lego. Mm. All of us need a big bag of Lego, <laughs> and then the vision to build something. Great at the end of it. Mm. Everybody needs a big bag of Lego. Yeah, yeah. I think I so. Not even, as, not even just a metaphor. Yeah, we need it yeah, for real. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually one of the few things I shipped when I moved <laughs> from the UK to Sweden 15 years ago. That was actually one of the few things I shipped in my square meter of stuff I, I shipped at the time. Was it my box of Lego that I'd kept? Uh, from there from you my go. Childhood. There you go. <laughs> Spend a little more time in Denmark then. Mm. Really <laughs> load up at the mm. source. So, what are some of uh, your guys' takeaways from this conference? I mean, you know, I think that, that the big theme throughout for this user experience conference, you know, maybe not ex surprisingly, is the user, that it's not mm -hmm. about technology, that it's about people and in your process and in your design solutions, make the technology bend to people's lives and not the reverse, mm. uh, whether that's your process or your in interface, it's got to bend to people's wants and needs. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I'm... I, I constantly get this feeling that, um, especially at this conference, of this uh, kind of idea of cleaning house. Like every project is just uh, when you walk into it, it's this huge uh, mess of stuff, you know, and chaotic processes. And um, and I guess everyone's job is to just go in and clean house, <laughs> you know, <laughs> organize everything and uh, and make it work well. So. That's uh, pretty much it, and there's mm -hmm. a lot of uh, there are a lot of projects out there that that don't do that, which means, I guess, job security for us all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I think that's right. It's like there's uh, and there was a little bit of a message of don't panic. It, it's just messy. You know, yeah. that's just the state yeah. of the world now. Mm -hmm. It's messy. Don't panic. Mm -hmm. You can mm -hmm. make it through. But mm -hmm. so many different mm -hmm. interfaces and platforms to design for. So mm -hmm. many processes. Mm -hmm. It's messy. Yeah, and it's that's okay. That's the mm -hmm. nature of it. Yeah. it's it's. It's easy what we do, but at the same time, it's incredibly complicated. <laughs> it's people. It's people. <laughs> Very unpredictable. I think it's time for your magic trick to disappear. Oh, all right. Hey, we <laughs> can yeah. take a hint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get out. <laughs> Have a safe journey back. Yeah. Thanks so much Thanks to so both much. of you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Deception, persuasion, illusion, tricking your users. Talks like this, uh, sitting down with smart people like this, is why we're doing the podcast. Yeah. Um, I think actually my biggest takeaway from this is uh, deceiving your clients. Yeah. Uh, I love the idea because that's always what what gets in your way. You want to do the right thing, and the clients don't understand don't understand why you want to do it, and you just push hard and hard, and, and you just fail. But if you actually just try to make it seem to the clients that you're doing what they want you to do, <laughs> but behind the scenes, you're actually doing what you want to do, which you believe is the right thing, pushing hard to do your best and actually get to grips with what problems you're solving and what's best for the business, then you can actually deceive your clients for a bit and maybe then come with the big reveal and show them that, okay, this is what I've been showing you and this is what I've been working on behind mm. the scenes. Look at all this value we can create by doing it differently. Yeah. Communicate what mm. you need to communicate to your mm. clients mm. and don't necessarily let them behind the curtain. Mm. As we've mentioned with the, you know, with the Wizard of Oz thing, um, you, they don't need to know all so the tricks. Yeah. And, and uh, like the Mechanical mm. Turk mm. example, where um, you know, the, it was a chess 
um, a robotic chess player. Yeah. Um, then underneath there was a little man playing chess. Mm. They probably didn't need to know. You don't need to know that yeah. it's, um, it's a trick. It's an illusion. The Wizard of Oz thing. The Wizard of Oz yeah. as well. Who's pulling the handles? Yeah. Um, or in um, uh, Stephen's um, workshop example, where mm. you do um, a browser, uh, a responsive design wireframe. Um, based in the browser, mm. but then take screenshots at certain mm. breakpoints that maybe the client is expecting to see. Exactly. So they, you communicate what they what you think they will need to know, where at the same time you've got a whole lot more going on behind the scenes. Yeah, because we supposedly are good at uh, seeing people's needs and uh, adapting to their behaviors. Mm. So that we're user experts, but we need to be seeing our actual clients or stakeholders or whoever we're reporting to as users as well, in that sense. We actually need to show them what they need to see. Mm. Yeah. And convince them in the end, <laughs> perhaps, that uh, what we've been doing behind the scenes is the, is the right thing. Mm. I do like, I do like mm. the whole metaphor, mm. though, with Magical UX. Mm. Um, that, yeah, back to the, well, doing the illusion, that it's, it's all about um, getting... Well, it, Entertaining, um, or not entertaining, but making sure that the show goes on. And also, and it's that in simple, yeah. it's, it's, you, you know, you're, you're not you're submersing you're submersing yourself in the world we're creating. Mm. That's the way I'm trying to think of it. Put it. And also simplifying, so everything doesn't mm. seem so complicated. Uh, when Josh on stage said that the interfaces are illusions, of course I understand what he means. I, I think about that too little because mm. we are so. <laughs> concentrated on creating these engaging interfaces, but what re it's really about removing the interfaces. Mm. Expose and as little technology as possible. Right, because the real interface, I mean, it's ones and zeros, or it's the terminal mm. window, and you've created this illusion of a, a user interface where you drag and drop stuff on screen. But of course, that's not the real thing. Mm. And the interfaces you're creating online, that's not the real thing. That's not, not what's happening, really. Mm. Uh, so thinking about that more and more, uh, you have to understand why you why are we creating illusions because we want to make it simpler for people so the best thing we could probably do is just make things suddenly appear for them the things they want mm. without any steps without any clicks and perhaps that's what you should be striving more for yeah it's um a bank on illusion embrace misdirection mm. i mentioned that during the, the talk as well um yeah and lying to your users I, think, yeah, I just love that phrase, like, lying to your users. Yeah. It's, um, it's true. It is true. <laughs> <laughs> but it just sounds so brutal when you're yeah. in that kind of, uh, that, that, that phrase. And I think also what I got from these guys is that you need to play around more and just think more about how devices should get out of your way and allow you to be more human. Mm -hmm. uh, there was one uh, thing I'm thinking about now from Josh's talk as well as with the, uh, the shoes, the Dorothy shoes. Oh, God, that was so, ridiculous. No, I thought it was pretty funny. No, actually. I thought it was fun, uh -huh. but but it was I a know, bit ridiculous. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> Go on, explain. <laughs> so, you buy these shoes? No. Yeah, it was a clip. Was it a clip? It was okay, a clip. You attach it to the. I thought I thought it was the actual shoes. No, 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 no. She just happened yeah. to have ruby slippers or ruby okay, boots so in, the, in the ad. Yeah, but probably a Bluetooth thing you attach yeah. to your shoes. A little clip-on device. Yeah. So, and then uh, if you're on a date, you want to get out of there. You don't want to be rude. <laughs> You click your heels three times, and if you're a Wizard of Oz fans, uh, you'll understand that. Uh, you get back to Kansas. You click your heels three times. Your phone rings. Well, no, your phone. Your phone wasn't it? Your phone sends a message 
communicate with mm. your kind of um, Wizard of Oz contact, um, who's maybe your best friend or something. Call. Yeah, mm. and signals to them that you need um, a, a, a phone call back to Kansas, and yeah, and then they ring up while you're in this yeah. um, situation, date or whatever it is. Um, I have to check this out. Apparently, I don't remember exactly how it worked. Sorry, I've taken over your story. Yeah, click your heels three times, get out of there. That was the thing. Disappear. Yeah, like we were talking to them about disappearing act God. all the time. Yeah, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's entitled, uh, when it comes to um, creation, oh, being creative. Mm. I mean, mm. be a little bit ridiculous, and that's actually fine. It's fun. It's good. It's good to mm. experiment. Yeah. Um, but um, but not necessarily every single time we do something. No. Yeah. I, I went to Stephen Hayes' um, workshop as well. Right. You did. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, which um, which was I think was was really good fun. It was a responsive design workflow, sort of kind of reimagining how you can work with responsive. Um, and there it was. It ties in actually to co- conversation we've had with Brad Foster a couple mm-hmm. of years ago and um, Ethan uh, McCott, um about well content. Getting back to the the, the clumps of content, the content components mm. of your of whatever you're creating. Um, you know, before the graphical design and so on, and, um, and even before wireframes, you you got to think about what what are all the blocks, the building yeah. blocks, the Lego that we need to use to build up the site or whatever it is. One uh, of the taglines for that workshop is uh, "Forget overproduced wireframes." Yeah, and and that's and in the workshop did go through how you 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 try and build in the browser. Um, as quick as possible, um, mm. and tools you could use to build in the browser your your lay your rough layouts and so on. Mm. Um, but a, but a real take on for that or a, a reflection from that for me was um, what he said you should do is start off maybe by well not just a, a content audit or something, but start off by doing a, a grey box wireframe. Um, this is where you just just literally put some blocks together, um, which maybe ve- maybe a sized according to how how big you expect that content thing to be in whatever it is you're producing. Yeah, um, and lay them out roughly how you might think they could come together. Mm. And, um, and that's exactly the kind of thing I was doing ten, fifteen years ago as a, as a web manager, running mm. websites. Um, and if I was giving a brief to agencies back then, one thing I'd always hand over would be just a simple picture or a couple of pictures with grey blocks and text in it just saying, you know, um or header or menu or right. um you know article or you know related content. Something just something like this. And and then they'd come with initial sketches and stuff based out of, of, of based that. Out of that. Yeah. And it was it was interesting to 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 see that going round again and say, oh, and actually, that is a good way of working. Because, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd moved on from that. You think you moved on from things and you're doing it better um, mm. by, by producing it in a, in a different way. Um, but actually, maybe that was... You're often good. doing too much. You're often yeah, doing yeah. it far too much. Uh, and that actually ties in with a lot of people are saying and with Agile and everything, that just get something out, produce something that's really quick so that you can get out there and talk about it. And agree upon something. Yeah. Uh, the more you overproduce, like in Stephen Hayes' words, the the less of uh, agreement there is in the beginning about what you want to do. You need to get as many people as soon as possible talking about something. So you need an artifact. Mm-hmm. You need an artifact that you can agree upon or will argue about somewhat, uh, and then continue from there. Because everybody will feel ownership of what you're producing. Mm. Yeah, Brad Frost mm-hmm. um, in his. Um um, presentation on the conference day, and um, he was saying about we, we we tend to sell websites like paintings, um, 
and um, he did a funny little um, routine um, where he joked about um, like 200 um, and I put Photoshop files with 200 layers and yes. all that kind of stuff and mm. pictures and God knows what else. Mm. So much work gone into mm. it, and then you'd, the designer with this complete set of Photoshop files mm. would would um, run over um, with with that file to the the, the code cave <laughs> where the developers are all hanging out, and he would mm. slip the file under mm. the door and mm. leave it to them to kind of get on mm. with producing. Mm. The, the, the website, mm. which is ridiculous. Yeah, um, <laughs> it is. I'm well, clearly not going to work. <laughs> You're laughing because it's true. Is what We're laughing said. because mm. it's true. So, we've got so many good shows lined up after UXLX. We did no less than eight interviews, which included ten of the speakers. So, over the coming month, you'll also be hearing from uh, Mike Beasley, Adrian Howard, Nicole Fenton. Mike Atherton, Abby Covert, and Andrew Hinton, as well as Lisa Welchman. So be sure to go to uxpodcast.com slash subscribe and pick and choose among the many ways you can have new episodes delivered to your device. Our brains are actually fried from yesterday, <laughs> sitting and talking to all these people. And we're going to be listening back to these interviews as well. Uh, and and bringing you them uh, across the next few episodes. Yeah, stick with us. There's mm. some fantastic mm. content that we've captured from yeah. the interviews. Um, and so we'll, this will be a series of, mm. um, of of maybe four podcasts mm. now, where we um, we group these together and um, and try and find a little theme and thread for some of mm. these um, the shows for you. Thanks um, to Lib Eleven for sponsoring this episode of UX Podcast. Yeah, yeah. And make sure you go to lib11.com/slash/uxpodcast for your free usability test. Um, and show notes for this show will be available on our website uxpodcast.com and um, you can go there as well if you fancy getting in touch with us or um, finding other ways, you, alternative ways you can subscribe to the podcast mm-hmm. or um, um, get in touch with us. Excellent. Thank you for listening. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Mm-hmm.